Well, good morning, Moberly. I tell you what, I'm so excited to be here. I was so excited last night I could hardly go to sleep. Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Today we're going to talk about what is God like? So, yeah, I have been on television a few times. In fact, I often get noticed out in public. Anybody ever seen me on television? Yeah, that's some of you. A few years ago, I was at the Broadway Square Mall on a Saturday, and I was doing my favorite hobby, which is people watching. And uh, this little lady came and sat down on the bench beside me, and she sort of stared at me a little bit, and she said, Hey, aren't you that preacher on TV? I said, yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm David Docks. I'm the pastor at Green Acres. And she looked at me again and said, oh, no, you're not. He's a lot better looking than you are. <laughs> uh, that, I guess television does that for you. So what's worse than being an atheist? Worse than being an atheist is having the wrong belief about God. It's like a clock that is broken is more dangerous than no clock at all because it can mislead you. So what is God really like? Some people th think that all you have to do is believe that God exists. Well, the demons believe that God exists, and they even tremble at it. Now, what is God like? Is God like the God of the Muslims who flew those airplanes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon? Is that what God's like? Because He rewards uh, people like that and with 70 virgins in paradise? Or is God the God of the Hindu? make up over a billion people in India. They have a whole pantheon of gods, but they have one main God, Brahman, is the life force in and everything. Is that what God's like? Or is God the God like of Star Wars, you know, the dark side of the force, you know, and God's the good side of the force. May the force be with you. Is that what God is like? Well, actually, that's the reason why Jesus came to visit planet Earth, to teach us what God is like. And here in Luke 15, he tells three beautiful stories. He talks about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered away and he left the sheep hold to go find that one lost lamb. He talks about a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one coin and she turned her entire house upside down until she found the coin. And then he talked about a man who had two sons and there was a lost son, uh, God willing, uh, one week from today, I'm going to talk about what makes heaven happy and talk about the lost sheep and the lost silver. But today we talk about the lost coin. But one thing that all three of these parables have in common is this. When something was lost or someone was lost and it was recovered, there was great rejoicing. And Jesus said there is joy in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. Some have called this the greatest short story in the history of of literature. So I want you to read it with me. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along and invite you to stand as we honor God through the reading of his word, Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them, meaning his younger son and his older son. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. That word wild living gets us the word prodigal. That's where it comes from. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a man to, who sent him in his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods, meaning the corn cobs, 
that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, and I will go back to my father, and I will say to him, now listen as he rehearses his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. That's what God's like. He ran to his own son. That's what God's like. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. That's what God's like. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, I pray over the next few moments that you will remove any distractions from our minds. May we focus on listening to the voice of your Holy Spirit. And Father, if there's anyone in person or online, they've lost a sense of intimacy with you. They've lost the joy of their salvation. They've lost that sense of inner peace. I pray that today that they will run back into your open arms of compassion. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Be seated. Now, you really, there's two stories here. We, we didn't go into the second story, but there was an older brother, kind of the parable of the pouting son. Because if you look in verse 28, he was so mad that he didn't go in and have the party. A Sunday school teacher was teaching her children this lesson in Sunday school. And she, after she finished the story, she said, boys and girls, who was not happy when the prodigal son returned and the little boy raised his hand, he said, the fattened calf. <laughs> As I said, Jesus is going to teach us three very important things about the true God of the Bible, the God that we worship. Here's truth number one. We worship a God who regrets your rebellion. He regrets your rebellion. Now, this man had two sons, and according to Jewish law, his younger son would receive one-third of the estate, and the older son would receive two-thirds of the estate. And this story says he gave to both of them. So you've got to remember, this is a time when they didn't have a lot of liquid assets. It probably had land or livestock. He had to liquidate all of his assets and, and give a third of it to his younger son, who filled up his pockets with his money and headed off to the bright lights and the loud music of Las Vegas, I mean the big city. And he was going to party hard, and he did. And don't you know the father's heart was broken? Because here's basically what the son was saying. Hey, Dad, I know you're going to kick, kick the bucket one of these days, but to me, you're as good as dead. So go ahead and give me what's coming to me now. But the father did that. And, you know, we've got to remember something. We're talking about somebody who was already still in the family. People say the prodigal son is about a lost person coming to faith in Christ. No, it's about a about somebody who's already a member of the family, a Christian who has wandered away from God. Two words I want you to focus on. One is relationship. When you are born again into the family of God, you become a child of God, and nothing can ever break that relationship. Yeah, I believe in once a child of God, 
always a child of God. But you know what can happen? Not the word relationship, but the word fellowship. You can get out of fellowship with your heavenly father. Now, I got saved at an early age, but there was a couple of years in my teenage time when I was living a little rebellious life, and I was still the son of my father, my dad, but there were some times there that he, we didn't get along very well because of my disobedience and my rebellion. He was still my dad. The relationship was intact, but the fellowship was disrupted, and that's what happened here. And, you know, that's the way God is. God won't force you to stay in fellowship with him. When he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he said, okay, enjoy everything except this one tree. I reserve that to my holiness. Here's a line I don't want you to cross. And guess what they did? (laughs) They crossed the line. And they fell out of fellowship with their Heavenly Father. But God didn't create them like some computer pre-programmed that they couldn't sin. He gave them something that all of us have, very valuable. It's called free will. God will let you choose to walk away. So in all of these things we learn about God, God has a message to you today. And here's his message for point number one. I love you so you are free to go. Maybe you've heard the song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We used to sing that. It's one of the old ones, the good ones. It was written by Richard Robinson in the year uh, 1758 when he was a 22-year-old pastor. And he was a great pastor. He was a Methodist, then he became a Baptist. But you know what? He wrote a portion of that song that says this, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You know, that became a self-fulfilling prophecy in his life. Because through the course of his life, he did wander away from God. He wandered away morally. And he wandered away theologically. He he ended up becoming a Unitarian. Didn't even believe Jesus was God. But the story goes that he was riding on a a car, a carriage in London, and a young woman was singing his song, telling him what a beautiful song it was. And when he heard that song that he had written as a 22-year-old pastor, God broke his heart. And he came back into fellowship with God. And the last years of his life were some of the most effective years he ever lived. Because you know what? He's so true, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You see, God loves you so much, he will allow you to sin. And you have to deal with the consequences of your own sin. My good friend and mentor for many years, Adrian Rogers, used to say, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's the first thing we learn about God. Here's the second truth we learn about God. We worship a God who runs when you return, who runs when you return. So here's the sun, bright lights, loud music, party down, had lots of friends because when his pockets were full of money, he had plenty of friends. But before long, no money, no friends, no food, finds himself in a pig pen. Now, you got to remember, this is Jesus speaking to a Jewish audience and Pork was not kosher. In fact, when he even said the word pigs, all his audience, they just, they were shocked. They were repulsed by the horror of the thought of a Jewish boy in a pig pen with a bunch of dirty, stinky pigs. But that's where he ended up. But the Bible says he came to his senses. You know, when I used to preach this years ago from the King James Version, it says he came to himself. 
Interesting story about that. I, when I was just in my early 20s in the late 70s preaching in a little church in central Alabama, we, had a, we were on an AM radio, and I remember the first uh, Sunday we had that AM radio that probably went about 20 miles of coverage. I walked up and said, hello, world. <laughs> but I was preaching on this prodigal son. I talked about how he came to himself. He came to himself. Suddenly, his eyes were open, and he knew what a terrible situation he was in, but he wasn't going to stay there. Next week, I got a letter. This is long before email. I got a letter from a guy who lived in that area. He said that he had been listening to me on the radio on Sunday morning, had a shotgun pointed up under his chin, ready to take his life. When he heard me say he came to himself, and he said, all of a sudden, I came to myself. Thank you for preaching God's word. You know, we all need to come to that place sometimes, don't we? We're in a situation, we're in a relationship, we're in rebellion, and we need to come to ourselves. And so that's what he did. He realized that he was in a mess. And so he said, I'm going to do something about it. In fact, look at verse 13 again, if you still have your Bibles open. These, these six words describe his sorry condition. He squandered his wealth in wild living. I told you that word wild living is where we get the term prodigal. Now, most of you for all your life, you've heard of this and thought of it as the, pro, the parable of the prodigal son. But you know, that's not in the Bible. All those little headings and things you have in your Bible said the parable of the prodigal son. That's not there. Some editor just added that. I submit to you today, this is not the parable of the prodigal son. He's not the star. The father is the star. This is the parable of the loving father. So if you go to work tomorrow and somebody says, what did Pastor David preach on yesterday? You say he preached on the parable of the loving father. So he came to himself. You know what that means? He came to what I call the POTD. Have you ever been potted before POTD? It is the point of total desperation. Point of total desperation. And you know what? You always meet God at the point of total desperation. When you get to the very bottom and you think you can't go any deeper and then you crash down even deeper than that, that's the point of total desperation. And he had to eat something more tasteless than the corn cobs. He had to swallow his pride. Now, let me give you a little insight into this story. Jesus wasn't the first one to tell a story like this. There was a common story from Jewish literature that rabbis had been telling for many years. But the story always that had been told before, it, it ends up with the son coming back and the father saying, well, no, don't come drag him back to me. Go back there and stay with the pigs. You made your bed, you lie in it. Now get out of here. You had your chance. That's the way the story ended. And Jesus flipped the ending. He gave a new meaning to the ending. Because I'm sure those Pharisees, as they were listening to it, it's like when you hear somebody tell a joke and you've heard the joke before, and you say, yeah, I've heard this before. That's what they were saying as he's telling the story. Yeah, I've heard it before until he got to the end. So what this boy had to do was get up and go back to his father. Why the story before Jesus had the father rejecting him? Because that's Old Testament. That's law. Jesus is all about grace. In fact, you know what the Old Testament said you're supposed to do with a teenager who rebels? Stone him. Some of you might think that's a good idea if you've got some teenagers right now. 
Maybe you were a rebellious teenager, you have a rebellious teenager, or maybe you are a rebellious teenager. Write this reference down, Deuteronomy 21.18. Deuteronomy 21.18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey, his father and mother shall bring him to the elders and say, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a prolificate and a drunkard. Then all the men shall stone him to death. That was the old story. But suddenly Jesus tells a different story. I want you to picture that old dad. He was there every afternoon. Hey, that guy's not bothering me. I'm bothering him a lot more than he's bothering me. <laughs> the old father stood every afternoon at the stone fence on the edge of his property and looked down the road, praying for his boy, wondering, will, will he ever come home? And one afternoon he looks and he sees a slumped over figure dragging slowly down the road. He said, well, that can't be my boy because my boy left with a spring in his step and fashionable clothes. This guy's an old bum in rags. But as he got closer, he saw, hey, it's, it's my boy. And then he did something very undignified to the Jewish mindset. He pulled up his robe grabbed it up in his arm, jumped over the stone fence, and went running, literally running to meet his son. And when he did, he threw his arms around him. I don't imagine his son smelled very well, did you? I mean, been those pigs, dirty, stinky. But the Bible says Jesus said that he starts peppering his face with kisses over and over and over again. Our God is a God who runs when you return. One of my favorite preachers from the 19th century is Charles Spurgeon, I, I, you can't really preach his sermons today because he was too oratorical, but I love what he wrote about this scene. Let me read it to you. It was not with icy eyes that the father looked on his returning son. Love filled his heart as he beheld him. There was no anger in his heart toward his son. It was true that it was all his fault, but that did not come before his father's mind. It was the state he was in, his poverty his degradation, that pale face of his so wan with hunger that touched his father to the quick. We read that the father ran. The compassion of God is followed by swift movements. He is slow to anger, but he is quick to bless. And then I love this sentence, one of the most beautiful sentences I've ever read. God comes flying in the greatness of his compassion to help every poor soul that returns to him. So in the first thing we learned about God, he said, I love you, so you're free to go. What is God saying to you today in this point? He's saying, when you start home, I'll meet you with open arms. Where are you right now in relationship to God? Oh, yeah, you're still in relationship? How's the fellowship? How's the intimacy with God? Was there ever a time in your past when you were closer to God, more obedient, more blessed, had more joy, more peace than you do right now? The Bible says in the book of James, draw near to me or draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. I can remember growing up hearing this song, I've wandered far away from God, now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Now I'm 
coming home, coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open wide your arms of love. Now I'm coming home. Is that your song today? We used to also sing another song that says, If you'll take one step toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. That's what God is like, so full of compassion that when a rebellious child wanders away, he receives you. He runs to receive you. And then here's the third thing we learn about God. We worship a God who restores you when you repent. Who restores you when you repent. Let me just tell you something about repentance. You cannot come to Christ initially without repentance. We all know that. You've got to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. But some Christians think, well, okay, I've already repented once. That's all I ever need to do. No, that's like saying I, you know, I slept on a pillow one time. That's, I've done it once. I don't need to do it again. No, it's like getting in your bed. You repent over and over again. You know what the word repent means? It means to change the way you think about your behavior and who you are and change the way you think about God, and it leads to a change of behavior. And so you know what a wayward Christian needs to repent of? A wayward Christian must repent of this kind of thinking, I don't need God. I can take care of my life better than God can take care of me. I'm in control. That's what, that's what the little prodigal son thought. Hey, I can run my own life. He found out he couldn't. And you can't either, and I can't either. We need to repent of that. So the son rehearsed his speech. Three things he was going to say. Father, I've sinned against heaven. He's correct. Every sin is against God. David said, against you and you only have I sinned and none this evil in your sight. Number two, he said, I've sinned against you, Dad. That's also true because we can also sin against another individual. But then the third statement he made, he's so off base and doesn't know it. He said, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Wait a minute. He never was worthy to be his son. And by the way, none of us are ever worthy to be a child of God. I mean, think about your physical birth. What did you do to be born? Nothing. You just showed up. And when a teenager says, I didn't ask to be born, you can say, oh, you're exactly right, you didn't. It's the same thing when we're born again. What do you do? Nothing. It is by the grace and favor of God that you're a child of God. So he thought there was something he could do or not do to make him worthy or more worthy to be a child of his father. No, there's nothing you can do to make yourself more worthy to be a child of God. God's love is constant. His compassion is without end. His mercies never fail. But you know what? His dad didn't even let him finish the speech. He couldn't didn't get to the point and said, let me, just, let me just become one of your hired servants. The dad said, no. Hey, servants, bring a robe and put it on him. And he, he wrapped that beautiful robe around him, which was representative of how our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best things we do, according to Isaiah, are filthy rags. And God wraps his robe of righteousness around he put a ring on his finger. You see, that was a signet ring that they would use as a signature in wax. That ring had probably been pawned off a long time ago. He said, you're back in the family, though. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on your feet. And let's have us a Texas barbecue. We're going to have a party. You know, I love 
studying biblical art, especially from the Renaissance period. And I want to show you a picture by Murillo, one of the greatest Spanish artists that pictures this prodigal son coming back into the arms of his dad. He's in rags. Everybody's happy, except you see the elder brother up there in the top left just kind of looking on. Top right, I mean. And then even the puppy's happy. Isn't that good? I mean, even the calf looks happy, and he doesn't know you can see the axe. That's, that's what's going to happen to him next. But there's, you see the ring. You see the robe. You see the sandals there. He's being restored. So here's God's word to you. Come back to me, and I'll treat you as if you never left. Come back to me, and I'll treat you like you never left. Ernest Hemingway, one of the great American novelists, wrote a novel called The Capital of the World that is set in Spain, Madrid. And it's a story of a young man named Paco, P-A-C-O, who he and his father become terribly estranged and his father kicks him out of his house. And afterward, the father regrets what he did. And so he tries desperately to find his son so they can be reconciled. But he didn't know where he is. He can't find him. So the dad puts him an ad, a large ad in the Madrid newspaper. And this is what the ad said, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love your father. True story. Paco was such a common name in Spain that the next day when he got there, there were 600 young men named Paco, all wanting the forgiveness of their fathers. There are a lot of sons and daughters who need the forgiveness of their earthly parents. And there may be some children of God watching or listening or hear that you need the forgiveness of your father. You need to come back to him. So where are you in this story? There are some of you here or watching that you're not in the family yet. And in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation so you can be a part of God's family. You're, you're born into it, but you're also adopted into it. But some of you here today have wandered away from God, and you know that. And today you need to be like that son who comes to your senses and says, Father, I've sinned against you. Please restore the joy of my salvation. But some of you are parents of prodigals. You're the dad in the story. See, my wife and I, we had a prodigal daughter. We have two, two daughters. We had a prodigal daughter for 11 years who lived out in Seattle in a terribly abusive relationship. Four years ago, she called my wife, and we could just, my wife could just tell by her voice that she was in trouble. So Cindy said, do you need to come home? And she broke down in tears and said, yeah, I've got to come home. So she's back in Tyler for the last four years. Things are great for her and her daughter. So I know what it is to have a prodigal daughter. Some of you have prodigal Children, prodigal grandchildren, I have just a few quick practical tips to you because there's never any practical takeaway from a message. It's not worth much. So those of you who are parents of prodigals, three quick words, God understands your pain. In fact, the, the more the capacity to love, the greater the capacity to hurt. And nobody loves you more than God does, so he knows your pain. Number two, don't jump in the pig pen. The dad didn't go rescue his son out of the pig pen. He had to wait till he came to his POTD, the point of total desperation. And then number three, let them know your door 
is open. Keep the door always open. The lines of communication always open. Let them know they're welcome. Whatever they've done, whatever kind of relationship they're in or going to be in, let them know the door is open. Because you know what? There's many, many prodigal daughters and sons that come back. In fact, that's one of the great promises of God. That's one of the things that God does for every generation. In fact, the very last promise of the Old Testament in Malachi 4.6 says this, He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Don't give up. God is a God who loves prodigals, and so you keep loving those prodigals too. Let's pray. If you are here or you're watching and you don't know the Lord, He is not your Father. He just seems to be an impersonal God. You can become part of His family if you'll pray a prayer like this sincerely from your heart. Dear God, I admit I am a sinner. I will never be good enough to earn salvation. Thank you for sending Jesus to take away my sin when he died on the cross. Right now, take control of my life. Save me, forgive my sins, and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen.